turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. While you're turning there, let me, let me ask you a question. Who do you find it easiest to say yes to? Who do you find it easiest to say yes to? When I was, uh, you know, just a few years ago, um, this was when Hannah and I had just, you know, kind of gotten to know each other a little bit. And, um, you know, there came kind of a little spark there and stuff, you know. You know how it works. And, uh, <laughs> and so we, we, we just wanted to spend a lot of time together and stuff. And so during that time, there would be, you know, different people that come to me and say, you know, you want to hang out this afternoon or whatever. And it didn't matter who it was that was asking me to do something. I always was thinking, what's Hannah doing tonight? You know, I always was, I was thinking, like, would Hannah be able to FaceTime tonight? Or can we hang out tonight? Um, I was always asking those questions because saying yes to Hannah was, has always been an easy thing. It was then, it is now. We love spending time together. But, you know, there's somebody that is even easier for me to say yes to. And you're, you're probably wondering, who's the, who is that? Well, you're looking at him. It's easy for me to say yes to myself so many times. Um, and it, tonight in our passage that we're going to read, we'll find a man that had a hard time saying no to himself and yes to the Lord. He was going through a hard time, and often trials are a place for Christians to find it easy to say yes to themselves and no to the Lord. Um, there's another word for describing this type of mindset. It's called worldliness. Now, you, you might be thinking worldliness. That just sounds like, you know, living out in the world, being a really bad, rebellious person. But worldliness may not be what you might think it is. According to Oxford Languages, worldliness is, and I quote, concern with material or ordinary life rather than a spiritual existence. Concern with material or ordinary life rather than a spiritual existence. We all can find ourselves at this place at some point. We'll begin reading here in Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make, a, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So you see, God has just given Abraham this great promise. And now it's Abraham's choice to go into Canaan, and that's what he does. It says in verse number four, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land of the place of Sychem unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Verse number 7 says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. 
And Abraham and Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Verse number 10 is where we'll, where we'll end. It says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Tonight we'll consider some thoughts from this passage and a message that I've entitled, Get Back to the Altar. Get Back to the Altar. Let's pray. My Father, I thank you for allowing us to be here this evening. I don't want to take it for granted, Lord, the opportunity you've given to me. Lord, I thank you for how you've used this passage in my life, um, that you've, you've guided me, you've shaped me through this passage. And I pray that tonight you'd help me to be able to think clearly and to clearly convey the message that you've laid on my heart. And I pray that it would be a help to, to even if it's just one person in here, I pray that it would be. I pray for those that might be listening on live stream, those that may come back and listen to this message. I pray that you speak to their hearts as well. Thank you for being so good to us, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to consider we must get back to the altar as soon as we begin to notice ourselves saying yes to self and no to the Lord. Tonight we'll look at four observations about worldliness that I believe can be a help to us all. Number one, we notice the call of worldliness, the call of worldliness. Now, something we've got to understand with this, with this passage is understanding where this idea of worldliness is fitting in. So Egypt is always, almost always pictured in the Bible as the world. Um, in, in Psalm 105, verse 23, Psalm 105, 27, Psalm 106, 22, all of these passages, they talk about Egypt and they refer to it as the land of Ham. Now, if you remember back just a few chapters before this in Genesis chapter 9 is where um, Noah has just offered sacrifices to the Lord after, um, after coming off of the ark. And then he gets drunk and his son Ham reveals the nakedness of his father and he's cursed. And now his descendants, they settled in this region around Egypt. Some of his descendants settled down there in Egypt. So he was the son that was cursed. And so that is how we see that Egypt is a picture of the world. Um, but when we think of this call of worldliness, you, you and I notice this every single day. There's always a pull from the world for us to go towards their system. There's also a, a pull from ourselves to want to just do what we want to do. But I want us to consider the call of worldliness is a call away from God's best. Looking back in our passage Verse number 7 and 8, it said, The Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord. He said, I'll give you this land. And that's where he wanted Abraham to be. But things got a little bit hard. And so he went away from that. It's a call away from God's best. It's also a call that's focused on comfort for family and for self. I don't want to be too harsh on Abraham right here. I mean, you think about it. In verse number 10, it said there was a famine in the land that was grievous. It was hard. And so I think for me, myself, if I was in Abraham's shoes, I'd be really tempted to want to go down to where it's prosperous, where I can take care of my family. I'd be tempted to do the same thing, but it wasn't where God wanted him to be. It's a call that's focused on comfort for family and self, but also it's a call that's based on man's reasoning versus God's reasoning. Because when we think about it, 
for Abraham, it just made sense. It's hard. There's a famine going on. There's a drought. There's not food. What logically made sense to him is what he did. But we got to be careful of that. There's, a, there's the call of worldliness. we got to understand something else, too, with this passage, that this wasn't just a small thing for Abraham to do. From the place where he was at in Canaan, coming down to Egypt was not just a small trip. Um, from the best that I can figure out from it, it was some two to 300 miles of traveling from where he was down to Egypt. So it wasn't just a small decision he's making here. This is a big decision. It takes weeks to get there. So the first of all was the call of worldliness. Second, the choice of worldliness. Now, I'll give you a little bit of, of my story. Um, a few years ago, actually it's been, I guess, four or five years ago, um, I, was, I was in high school. And um, I'd have different classmates, different students, different teachers that would ask me, like, what's your plan for when you graduate from high school? And honestly, I had no idea what I was going to do. And so I told them that. I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. They're like, oh, well, I mean, you're just a sophomore. You're just a junior. You've got time. You've got time. But then it came senior year. And they, they had asked me the same question. And I, I give them the same response. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what it is God wants me to do. They're like, well, you know, you're going to graduate here pretty soon. And I'm like, I know that. But I didn't know what God wanted me to do. And so it came day to graduate. And as I'm standing up there on the, the platform about to walk across, my name's called out and I walk across and they say, and his future plans are undecided. And I didn't want to be part of that group. I had some other you know, classmates that were in the same group, but I wanted to be like everybody else where you know, I knew what I was going to do. I was going to be a farmer. I was going to be a teacher. I was going to be this. I wanted to know, but I didn't. And so I just began working through the summer, and it came time to, um, you know, for school to start up, and I felt like I just needed to do something. So I had a, a big interest in building, and I was thinking maybe I'll be an independent contractor, kind of like Daniel or, you know, different people in here. I, I like building stuff. And so I went to a local community college, and I began to apply to go to that place. And I'll be honest with you, I was so miserable during that time. I was so miserable. And I think my family could begin to notice it. So my mom told me, she was like, well, why don't you just take a semester off? And I did. And that turned out to be a little bit longer than I thought. But it was during that time the Lord was working in my heart for what he really wanted me to do. That's what I'm doing tonight. And uh, I had no idea that this is what I'd be doing. But the Lord was working in my heart. And during this time, there was a man in my church that came to me and offered me a job opportunity. He was retiring from what he was doing, and this job was exactly what I wanted to do. I'd be able to do some building. I'd be spending a lot of time outside. Love doing that. It would have benefits. It'd have bonuses. It'd have a truck that was free for me to you know, do my work in. I mean, it had everything that I was thinking I wanted, so I thought. And um, during that time, I was like, Lord, is this what you want? I mean, I don't have to go to college this way. I mean, I, and I can support a family, stuff like that. And I realized that during this time, God used this, this very passage right here to show me that it wasn't what God wanted for me. He showed me that 
for me to choose that job opportunity was the same thing that it was for Abraham. I could either choose the easy way and do that job, or I could do what God wanted me to do and stick it out. And I wouldn't be here tonight if I had made the wrong choice. And I don't tell you that tonight to, to say anything big of myself. I say that because I am so glad that I made that choice. I don't know, I don't know what I'd be doing right now had I made that decision. There's a lot of, of things that hinge upon it. Um, you always have the choice, though. Whatever God, whenever God gives you a decision to make in life, it may not be something as big as, like, what's your, what's your job going to be for your, or your career and stuff. It may not be something that big. But you have a choice, and whenever God gives you a choice, Satan always gives you an alternative, gives you another route. You know, well, maybe this won't work out. Well, maybe, you know, this is going to happen. Maybe that will happen. The devil wants to give us different options. But you've got to make the right choice. It's, am I going to say yes to myself or am I going to say yes to the Lord? There's a choice to be made. So we've considered the, the call of worldliness. There's a choice of worldliness. But number three, there's consequences for choosing worldliness. If you look in, um, back in our passage, we'll pick up in verse number 11. So Abraham's gone down into Egypt, and it says, And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it and it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abraham well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister, so that I might have taken her to me to wife? Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. In this we'll consider three losses as a result of as as a result of him making this choice number 1 he had a loss of reason he lied he lied about his wife he was thinking well it, she's a she's a beautiful woman to look upon and they're going to kill me so he lied he had a loss of reason he told a half truth which is a whole lie about his wife and if if he wouldn't have been in the wrong place, he wouldn't have had to do that. It makes me think about that one bad, one bad decision can stem from another bad decision. If he wouldn't have been there in the first place, he wouldn't have had to lie. So he had a loss of reason, but also a loss of reputation. And this is a big one. This is where it really kind of hits home. He, he lost reputation amongst his family. Amongst his own family. You think about he's got Lot with him, a younger man. 
And just a few chapters after this, we'll, we'll see how that Lot chose to, to pitch his tent towards Sodom, eventually move into Sodom. But I kind of wonder if maybe he began to get a little appetite for the world by being down in Egypt. You know, never really, you never really know. I mean, that's just a speculation of mine. It's not, you know, Bible. But I just kind of wonder if he maybe began to get a little appetite right there for the world. He lost reputation from his own wife. Um, you know, he, he, he lied about her. He also lost a, a reputation amongst an authority. Pharaoh at this time would have been one of the most powerful men in the world at the time. And he gets this, this shining moment to be an example of what he's, you know, of, of having faith in God. And he blows it. He lies and he leaves a bad taste in the Pharaoh's mouth. There's also subordinates, people that were, um, that were Abraham's servants. If you look back in verse number five, it said that Abram, uh, in the middle part, it says that they took the souls that they had gotten down in Haran. He took those people. He had servants with them. They saw his lapse of faith. Also, the servants of Pharaoh uh, verse number 20, and Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. The people that were under Pharaoh saw Abraham's lapse of faith. So you see, this was not just a small decision. This was not just a small consequence. This, this, um, this shows us that both the saved and the lost were watching him. But now we'll consider there was a loss of reason, a loss of reputation, but there's also loss of rewards. Think about the, the lessons that God would have taught him through the trial had he just stayed where he should have been. In Job 23, verses 8 through 10, it said, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. There was a, there was a trying process here that if Abraham would have stuck in here, maybe he could have seen the blessings of God in his life. So he lost out on some lessons that he could have learned. But he also lost out on love in the home for the next generation. You see, when he, go, when he went down into Egypt, he also picked up a woman named Hagar. While he was down there, he, you know, he takes Hagar and when, uh, you know, years after that, his, uh, his wife notices that they can't have children and says, well, why don't you take Hagar, my, my servant, take her to, to wife so you can have children. And so he does that. And if, we can, if you continue on in the, the story, you'll find that Sarah ends up becoming jealous of, of Hagar and cast her out. And there's this whole family feud that's going on but it never would have happened had he not gone down to Egypt. There's a consequence for it. To this day, Abraham is still reaping the consequences for going into Egypt. And I'm trying to help us to understand just a little bit that the choices that you make in life, they don't just affect you. They affect your family. They affect the people that are around you. They affect your friends. They affect church members. People can see whether you have faith in God or not. You don't want to lead your family in the wrong place. So there are consequences for our actions. 
But number four tonight, and lastly, we'll notice the correct view of worldliness. The correct view of worldliness. Look at the first part of chapter 13. It says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to where? What does it say? Bethlehem. Unto the place where, he, where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now we see where Abraham gets right. I'm thankful that whenever we do go off in the, the wrong way, that God still gives us a second chance. He still gives us another opportunity. So I want us to consider tonight in this correct view of worldliness, something we need to consider is I'm not above worldliness just because I'm in church. If you look back, it says that he went to Bethel. Bethel, most of you know, means house of God. Uh, um, and so while he was just there where God wanted him to be, just at the house of God, he was right, goes down into Egypt, gets wrong. Where does he go? He goes back to Bethel goes back to the house of God. You know, you can find the Lord where you left him off at. Wherever you, wherever you stepped off track, that's where you need to get back to. We can sometimes begin to think, well, maybe that happened to him, but that won't happen to me. Maybe that'll happen to somebody else in the church, but it ain't going to happen to me. Maybe that'll happen to somebody else in my family, but it's not going to happen to me. Consider this tonight. Abraham, during his lifetime, built four altars that are recorded in Scripture. That's more than Noah did, more than Isaac, more than Jacob, more than Joseph, more than Samuel, more than David, and the list could go on. But that's a pretty impressive list right there. The point is that this was what some people might call today a super Christian or somebody that um, he, was, he was wanting to do what was right. He wasn't just an average or ordinary type Christian. He was devoted to God. I mean, think how else did he get the name the friend of God? He was dedicated to the Lord, and, he, and if he can mess up, who am I? Who are we that we can't mess up? So I'm not above worldliness just because I'm in church, but also I must trust God through the trying times as well as the blessed times. It's easy to trust God when things are going great. We all know that. But it's a lot harder to trust God when things get difficult. When there comes a famine in the land, it, it gets difficult. And you're tempted to, to trust yourself and say yes to me and no to the Lord. But we've got to trust the Lord during those hard times. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, actually my life verses. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. We've got to trust him. But also I must keep myself on the altar Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, you know the verse very well. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We've got to put, get ourselves back to the altar. We've got to keep ourselves there at the altar. Brother Ledbetter will often say that the difference between Old Testament sacrifice and New Testament sacrifice is that we're a living sacrifice so we can crawl off the altar. We've got to keep ourselves there, though. I want you to turn real quickly with me to the New Testament 
Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I came across this passage um, just this week and it's, it's been a help to me. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll look at verse number 2. It says in Colossians 3, 2, Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. So from this one verse, this one basic idea that's, that's given to us in two commands. He's saying, set not your affection, or set your affection on things above, set not your affection on things below, down here. What is implied here by the author, he's given a command for the people to stop looking down here. He's saying that you're looking down here, you need to stop looking down here and start getting your eyes where they need to be. I think about the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You know, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We get our focus set down here, and then we're tempted to trust ourselves. When I get my focus set on myself, I'm going to trust myself. When I set my focus where it ought to be, that's when I can make the right choices. And when I make those right choices, I've got people that's coming behind me. I'm, I think about it often, being back there in children's church, that there's little kids that are all back there, even in the Master's Club tonight, that are looking up to us as the, the older people looking up to us to see an example. Are they going to have faith in God when things get hard? Or are they just going to go off and do their own thing? Are they going to trust themselves? There's, there's a, a big responsibility for each and every one of us that when we come to these trying points in our life, that we trust the Lord. Worldliness is just when I get my eyes, my eyes off the Lord. We've got to remember to get back to the altar. Worldliness is often easy for us to see in others, but hard for us to see in ourselves. Remember, worldliness is not just living out in the world away from the Lord. It's evidenced in our lives when we say yes to self and no to God. I wonder tonight, who's in control of your life right now? Is it you or the Lord? Have you noticed yourself moving gradually away from where you know you ought to be or where you know God wants you to be? because it seems the path the Lord has laid out for you is hard or difficult. When is the last time you've laid yourself on the altar? Let me ask you, are you, are you directing your mind to earthly things or to spiritual things? Where are you at tonight? All of these questions are good for us to think on. The moment we notice a backslide beginning to happen or stepping away from where God wants us to be, we've got to get back to the altar. For it's there at the altar that I die to self and God gets to have control. And when God has control, I'm saying yes to him, no to me, and God gets the glory. And the people around me will begin to notice that. Now, I don't say this tonight because I'm a perfect example. I'm far short of it. But I say it to you because it's something that's helped me in my life. And I hope it will be a help to you as well. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you again for this opportunity you've given to us tonight to look into your word. I thank you for, Lord, how you've helped me through this verse, how you've helped me to um, be able to see, Lord, what your plan was for my life. And I pray that as we come to these different decisions of life, that we wouldn't trust ourselves, but that we would trust you. Help us to understand that there are consequences for when we choose worldliness. 
that there are consequences. There are people that are coming behind us that are looking to us to see is there something real about them or not. I pray that we would remember this. Help us to set our affection, to set the direction of our mind on you and not on things down here, not on ourselves. Thank you for being so good to us, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name.